0: So a few weeks ago, Jan Fursing, who has been a loyal, dedicated member of this congregation for nearly 60 years, gave me an article that he had pulled from the Wall Street Journal that he had been carrying around that he thought I might find interesting. It was called, What We've Lost in Rejecting the Sabbath, and it talked about how the 20th century church has seen the death of the American Sabbath by by a thousand of cuts as states begin to allow local authorities to, to liberalize blue laws, how it's all been done in the name of freedom, freedom to shop, freedom to work, freedom to socialize as much as we want. Well, I did find it interesting. I found it compelling, and in some ways I found it convicting. So much so that I changed my preaching plan. I had something else scheduled for today. But after reading this article, this word was something that I thought that we needed to hear today. Last Sunday, as we were walking out of worship, I told Jan how much I appreciated the article that I changed my preaching plan and was planning to preach on this today. His eyes lit up. He smiled real big and he said, Well, well, I better be there then. I'll see you next week, he said, and he walked away. Jan died on Tuesday of this week. He'd been battling prostate cancer for years and, and a concern that, that he had been abdicating and, and vocal about to encourage men to make sure that they got tested to stay on top of their health. Well, so today, I want to dedicate this sermon to Jan, to his memory, to his faithful, and loving, and generous spirit. We're going to be looking at two texts this morning. One is from the Old Testament. One is from the New Testament. The first one is from Exodus, part of the Ten Commandments, what we sometimes refer to as the Decalogue. Now, just to set the stage, the people of Israel, who had been enslaved for generations, had been rescued. They'd been liberated from slavery. And it was, in many ways, one of the pivotal moments in all of history when God brings the people of Israel out of Egypt. And they cross the Red Sea and they head towards the Promised Land. And a few months into the trip, they pull up at the base of Mount Sinai. And Moses climbs up the mountain to have a few words with the maker of the universe. And during this epic journey, God had given the Hebrews a total of 613 laws. But here, At Mount Sinai, God gives the people through Moses the top 10. We won't read all 10 this morning, just just the fourth. And what you might find interesting is that the first three of these commandments concern themselves with our relationship with God, sort of the vertical aspect of our faith. And then the last six have to do with our dealings with each other, sort of the horizontal elements of faith. Now, the fourth commandment is the longest. It's also the most inclusive of 10. Scholars also point out that its placement is not by accident, because the fourth acts as sort of a, a fulcrum, a hinge, a bridge between the two sections, the vertical and the horizontal. The Sabbath commandment, as you'll hear, embraces everyone, the wealthy and the servant, the illegal immigrant, It pertains to to minimum wage workers and students and CEOs. It covers animals and children and applies equally to both men and women. It's made to protect those who believe and those who don't. It's to be followed by all of humanity, but also, as we'll hear, is to be observed by God himself. So I invite you to listen now to
1: this text from Exodus. Today's first reading is found in the book of Exodus, chapter 20, verses 8 through 11. Here begins the reading. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all of your work. But on the seventh day, that's a Sabbath. A Sabbath to the Lord your God. You shall not do any work. You, your son or your daughter, your male or female slave, your livestock or the alien resident in your towns. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, but rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and consecrated it. Here ends the reading. So the second text is from Mark's Gospel
0: and tells the story of Jesus getting into a debate, an argument with the Pharisees. The Pharisees were the religious leaders of the day, those who were responsible for upholding and maintaining those religious laws of the day. The argument is about the actions of Jesus and the disciples on that
1: Sabbath. The next reading is found in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 2, verses 23 to 28. Here begins the reading. One Sabbath, he was going through the grain fields. And as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. The Pharisees said to him, Look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, Have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need of food? He entered the house of God when Abiathar was high priest and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priests to eat. And he gave some to his companions. Then he said to them, The Sabbath was made for humankind and not humankind for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Here ends the reading. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to
0: God. So it might have been that same week that Jan gave me this article that I was a part of a conversation in the Sunday school class that my wife Kelly and I often attend. The discussion was about now that we are coming out of the pandemic, now that life is returning to a sense of normal, at least a new normal, what are some of those silver linings from the last year? What are some of those things that we discovered or maybe we remembered, lessons that we learned, things that we want to make sure that we take with us As we move forward, people talked about spending more time with family, having the flexibility to work from home. I happen to point out that to go margaritas is my new favorite thing. More than one person pointed out that they liked how that now that worship is online, it's sort of on demand and you can take part whenever and wherever you are. One person talked about how he has the flexibility now to worship while he walks the dogs well, it didn't take long for that conversation to pivot away away from those silver linings to some of the struggles that we've encountered in this new normal. Interestingly, some of the same things that we listed as positives also had sort of a downside. Working from home meant that, that we sometimes find it hard to get away from work, that we're always on. Worship being on demand also meant that many of us sort of got out of the rhythm, out of the routine, out of the discipline of coming to church on Sundays. This is an issue that I've heard from several folks, most especially from young families. Kara Watts, who is our minister to children and families, mentioned in a staff meeting recently that not gathering for worship on Sunday mornings created a vacuum for a lot of families. And that space created by that vacuum, it just got filled with other stuff. Psychologists will say that this is basic behavioral psychology, that nothing exists in a vacuum, but it always gets filled. When you remove one behavior, something else will fill it. It never stays empty. If you stop smoking, for instance, something else, maybe it's eating, maybe it's chewing gum, drinking, will fill that space. And that's why it's important to have, to, to have some sort of an idea, to have a program about how you're going to replace that behavior. But I would suspect that it's not just happening to families with young children. That even now that we are worshiping in person again, there hasn't been this huge rush to return. For some, it's been more or less a reluctance. In fact, even some of the folks that were most vocal, that were pushing the hardest for us to start in-person worship again, have been coming only sporadically. Now, I don't say that to sound critical. I promise. I get it. In fact, I've seen it in my own family. If you've ever tried to start exercising regularly, to start a new diet, to, to get to bed earlier, you know how hard it is to get into a routine but how incredibly easy it is to get out of one. And I think in some ways, that's what we are seeing in our culture. One of the things that I've noticed in the last few weeks, now that more people are getting vaccinated, more and more folks are returning to their, to their regularly scheduled lives, is the speed. The pace of life seems to be quickening. Traffic is back. We're all getting busier. And as our lives get busier, our calendars get fuller, I want us to make sure, I want us to make sure that, that some of the most important activities don't get pushed aside for the more urgent happenings of our lives. This is not a new problem. It's not been brought on by the pandemic. It's been around, heck, it's been around since Jesus was a boy. Epictetus, the the Greek Stoic philosopher who was born 50 years before Jesus, once says, this is our predicament that over and over again we lose sight of what is important and what isn't. Heck, the Apostle Paul experienced the same struggle. He said, the things that I know that I should do, I don't do. And the things that I shouldn't do are the very things that I do. As a result, he goes on to say at the end of that passage, as a result, there is no health in me. So, one of my concerns as we come out on the other side of this pandemic is that we will find in our rush to return to normalcy, is that there is no health in us, that we will get away from the things that are ultimately most important for the good of ourselves. And, and also for the good of our souls. When the Methodist church were gaining strength, as they were forming as a denomination, there was a question that they would ask each other every time that they would gather together. They would simply look around and they would say to one another, how is it with your soul? Now, we don't necessarily do that in our tradition. Actually, all too often, we ask sort of an empty question, just sort of how are you? Not really expecting or even wanting anything in return other than just simply fine. But if I were to ask you this morning, how is it with your soul? If you slow down, if you let go, if you were really honest with me, how would you respond to that question? Are you living the life that God has created and entrusted you to live? How is it with your soul? Are you you being attentive to the things that matter most in your life? You see, our souls, our spirits, we need routine. We need discipline. We We need rhythm. Our days, our weeks, our seasons, they're all based upon that rhythm. And our souls and our spirits, they crave that rhythm. In essence, that's what the practice of Sabbath is all about. It goes on to say that everyone, even the animals and the foreigners, everyone should remember and honor the Sabbath. That we should make space for God. We tend to take those other Ten Commandments seriously, but this one, if we're honest, most of us don't. But here God is saying, I know what's best for you. That there is time to work and there's time to not work. Because God knows all about our tendency to hurry, to try and do it all, to try and fit it all in. But yet, I believe that God cares about our souls. What if if we saw this less of a law and more of an invitation to find and to create rhythm in our lives? And that rhythm, that rhythm that we all crave, that we all long for, it goes all the way back to the beginning of creation before there were even commandments. And so to take this as an invitation to to rest, to breathe deeply, and to say this, all of this, this is for God. To just rest and to be in the presence of God. Well, I don't know about you, but that sounds just delightful, doesn't it? But it also feels, if we're honest, almost impossible. Because we live in a world that that doesn't honor the Sabbath. We live in a world that 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 all of the lines get blurred and the rhythm that God established and longs for us to live, to live within it's all going away. Uh, Dr. Neil Nedley is a practicing physician that makes connections between religion and medicine. And he points out, for instance that, that the rates of depression and anxiety and mental illness is significantly higher amongst agnostics and atheists than it is amongst believers. One of the things that he writes about is how during the French Revolution that they instituted a 10-day work week. They tried to change the entire rhythm of people's lives. And it wasn't just a 10-day work week, but they instituted that there would be 10 hours in every day A hundred minutes in each hour, a hundred seconds in every minute. They established and and made into law that you can only worship one out of every ten days. They closed the churches by force. You could only wear your best clothes one out of every ten days. It was going to be this incredible improvement to society. But instead, what happened? Instead, what happened is they ended up filling up the mental institutions to double their capacity because the human body, in fact, all of creation is based upon that sacred rhythm of resting on the seventh day. One of the important arguments for the existence of God, the one who created the universe, we are told to a rhythm of seven, is that nothing in the universe that we know of is divisible by the number seven. Not the year, 365 and a quarter days, not divisible by seven. The lunar month, not divisible by seven. In fact, nothing in nature is divisible that we are aware of by the number seven. But yet we know, the doctors will tell us that there are these seven-day rhythms. By doing this chronobiology studies, looking at heart rates and cortisol levels, If we map them out over 45 or even 90 days, we see that there are these seven-day sine waves, these rhythms. These sevens start to accumulate, but where did they come from? These seven-day rhythms that exist throughout the creation point to a designer who put the universe together. There are studies on those who do pause in regards to the actual Sabbath rest. We're not doing work. We're making room for spiritual reflection and worship. Those people far fare far better in terms of their mental health and that mental health spills over into their physical health. And so if I were to ask you, how is it with your soul? How is it with your spirit? How is it with your body? maybe that's why the commandment is to remember the Sabbath and to keep it holy. You see, this is not a hint. It's not a suggestion. It's not a good idea or a handy tip. It's a commandment, but it's also an invitation. And I know you may you may make the point, based on what we heard from Mark's gospel, that Jesus was constantly in trouble for showing mercy, for picking grain, for healing people on the Sabbath. And I suppose that you could think, that you could draw the conclusion that, that maybe it, the Sabbath just wasn't all that important to him. But to do that, I think, is to completely misread the text. You see, the question that we need to be asking is, did he mean for us to turn the Sabbath into just another ordinary busy day? Or did he mean for us to turn all of our ordinary days into Sabbath, You see, so sacred was the Sabbath that he reminded us that all of our days are holy. And so as we begin to come out of this pandemic, as we return to our regularly scheduled lives, as we live into this new normal and begin once again to develop those routines, those disciplines, may we remember that God created us for rhythm and invites us to be fully present in it. And that nagging, that longing that you may be feeling in your soul, that is crying out for those moments of rhythm, crying out for those moments to be connected to that which matters most in your life. Crying out to be connected with God. Amen.